there's something about the nobility of our own suffering. It takes noble strength to meet our suffering and to say, I see you. I'm with you, fear. I see you, terror. I see you, confusion, anxiety, whatever that is. And like all the things that I've experienced in my life. And to really take time to unpack just that. And I feel like we live in a world where we always are trying to kind of cover that, cover what's hard. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For years in my role on Reboot's engagement team, I've had the privilege and opportunity to connect up with some amazing people from a wide range of roles, companies, and locations. And some of these folks end up as Reboot clients. Some of them end up as my client. Some I never hear from again. But despite the fact that I don't really know where it's going to go, I really just love the opportunity to be with so many different people. It feels like a chance to connect with humanity in a meaningful way, even in just 30 minutes. A few months ago, I was speaking to a very experienced leader who had just taken on a new role. Now, despite her experience, she found herself simply overwhelmed with all the things she was responsible for. As she started to list them all, she spoke often of this fog that was hanging above her. A dark cloud that seemed to just get in the way of everything she was trying to do. And she felt like if she could just get the right framework, the right tools, she could just have the right person hold her accountable, she be released of this weight. Now, I've seen and heard this story so many times before, from new managers to even the most experienced. But something about this felt a little different. I could feel the suffering. As I reflected back all that I had heard from her, I could also hear and feel her anxiously waiting for me to give her this solution. But instead, what I said to her was, I can see how hard this is. I can feel how heavy it is. And I can feel that there's a lot more in the fog you haven't even named. And I want you to know, I see your suffering. And I see how hard you are trying. And I feel compelled to say this to you. Be gentle. Be excessively gentle with yourself. In tears, instantly filled her eyes. And then I knew we were both on the same page. We were both now seeing and experiencing the fog. We can often resist, avoid, run from the pain within us. We can convince ourselves that if I only have the right answer, or the right framework, or the right roadmap, then I can just move past whatever scary thing might be within. But it's actually in being with the scary thing, often having the support of someone else to be there with you, that creates a path forward in naming, feeling, and sharing the suffering with her, we actually open a door for her to move forward and for one, for us to connect more meaningfully. In today's episode of the Reboot Podcast, Jerry sits down with Koshin Paley Ellison, co-founder of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, to talk about his latest book, Untangled. In the work he does in the world with his co-founder and husband, Jodo, they help people know what to do with their suffering. Jerry and Koshin talk about the nobility of our suffering as a basic part of our humanity and one of the many ways in which we can find connection with each other. Enjoy. We often talk about the work of rebooting your leadership as individual work you can't do alone. 
If each member of your leadership team is pursuing the work of self-inquiry and actualization, that's wonderful. But to create the company that you'd all like to work for, you must also create the opportunity for the collective to grow. Experiences like facilitated leadership groups, off-site retreats, organizational change explorations, and immersive leadership trainings move the organization closer to its fullest expression of the inherent values. At Reboot, we're here to support you and your team members in bringing forth the best that you have, using everything that emerges from organizational life, both the challenges and successes, as opportunities to grow. Head to Reboot.io slash team experiences to learn more and more about Reboot's virtual and in-person team offerings. Well, hello, my friend. Hello, dear Jerry. It's so wonderful to be with you and to see you and look at your smiling face. And Mm -hmm. it's it's a delight. Take a moment, my dear friend, and just introduce yourself. So my name is Koshin, and I am a husband and a monk and a friend. And with my beautiful husband, we co-founded the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care, where we are located in New York City, but serving the world through Zen practice and contemplative medicine for physicians and contemplative foundational programs for anyone who wants to learn how to bridge the gap between their values and what they're actually doing in their day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like my life is really one of service and love, or maybe service through love. I, I love that introduction. I remember our earliest encounters, and, and I should warn the listeners that we're friends. We're deep friends, and we're like soul brothers. And uh, we kind of figured that out from the minute we both started talking, and we would throw the occasional Yiddish word at each other. And your Yiddish is much better than mine, so we'll say that. But uh, um, but I, I remember thinking about some of the earliest conversations that we had and thinking about the work you and Chodo do and, and the whole Zen Center. And um, part of what I carry is that in addition to helping people be with um, the transition, also known as death, you really are caretakers of suffering. In my experience, Uh, part of the work that you do is you help so many people understand what it means to be with suffering. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to know that I am deeply grateful for that work that you do. Thank you. You know, one of my teachers, and I think a mutual friend of ours, Parker Palmer, likes to say that violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with suffering. Mm -hmm. And, um, what you and Chodo do is help us to know what to do with suffering. So I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're here to talk about and celebrate in some ways. And yay, the hard copy just came in. Your newest book, your latest book, which is called Untangled. 
And um, I read an early draft of the book and was deeply moved by it. In fact, I, I, I said something about it being a love letter to the brokenhearted. Because that's what it really felt like. And my first question to sort of get us going is, um, having reread it over the last couple of days, I was struck by even some of the quotes that you open up with. And so I'm going to read a quote and then ask you to tell us a little bit about it. So the first quote is the inner tangle and the outer tangle. This generation is entangled in a tangle. And so I ask of Gautama this question, who succeeds in disentangling this tangling? Hmm. So, and that was by Samyata, you'll pronounce it, Samyata Nikaya. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... it's heartbreaking, you know, mm-hmm. to, and to me, what is required in this life is to allow our hearts to not just break, but also be a companion to our own brokenheartedness mm-hmm. and to be able to, you know, one of my teachers, Bernie Glassman would talk about, you know, the importance of, bearing witness to suffering Mm. that we're not just in our suffering, but also witnessing it so that we can also witness the suffering of the world. And I know for myself coming back from, you know, generations of people who endured and immense suffering in Mm. Eastern Europe and I also grew up with grandparents who are constantly telling me to never trust your neighbors because one day they could come for you Mm. as, as their parents had experienced their own neighbors in Eastern Europe turning on them and Mm. incredibly violent ways and killing a lot of our family. And so that kind of that tangle. And so just to, appreciate the generations of tangle. Mm. And for many years, I thought about, you know, that, you know, the last decade or so people talking about epigenetic trauma and how Mm. trauma's handed down and how that caused so much of the trauma of my own childhood of the sexual abuse and physical abuse and verbal abuse and bullying and et cetera. But also, I've been thinking about when I think about that teaching about who's going to untangle it is also to realize I began to think about, oh, you know, those ancestors of mine. I also come from a lineage of people who notice that something is wrong or scary and take action. Mm. And so most of my extended family were all slaughtered and murdered. And, but I also come from the people in the family who said, this is scary. And everyone thought that they were crazy. They're like, that's not going to happen here. P- 
people are good. People are not going to do that. And they said, that's maybe so, but we have to get out of here. Mm. And so I also realized that I come from an epigenetic courage. Mm. And so to me, that's also part of the bearing witness of our own suffering. And so lately, just in the last really couple weeks, I've been really feeling into and the gratitude towards my ancestors who said, hang on a second here. Mm -hmm. We have to find a way to escape and to get Mm -hmm. out of here. And Mm -hmm. so to me, the who's going to untangle the tangle is it's up to each of us to learn how to pause, learn how to reflect. Mm. And the only way to really do that is by being awake and receptive and connected to others. Mm. And if we're not connected to others, that's kind of our prescription to fill, is to how do we learn how to connect to others. So you've sort of anticipated some of my next questions. So, but I want to take it back a little bit. And, and what I'm hearing is the tangle, as you describe it, is in a sense, perhaps a piece of the tangle is the how we relate to the suffering. And you're identifying the suffering that that uh, your ancestors experienced as well as your own um, and the relationship between those two. And I feel compelled. I just want to pause for a moment and acknowledge something very, very important and powerful that you said, which was that so many of your ancestors were slaughtered. And, you know, and, and you know me well enough, my dear brother and friend, that it's hard for me to look away from suffering. You know, I blame all my Buddhist teachers on that one. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel it. I felt it as soon as you said that. And I know by my highlighting that I, I want our listeners to feel that. Because it's not just the descendants of, say, pogroms against Jews, but it's the descendants of the formerly enslaved. It's the descendants of the, you know, victims of genocide and that kind of haunt the earth and are with us. Um, you know, we're a few days out from, you know, celebrating the indigenous of this land, which was arising out of recognition of the genocide of the indigenous. Right. And um, what I'm hearing is in that teaching the inner tangle and the outer tangle. And I was struck again by that phrase. This generation is entangled in a tangle. 
And I want to ask, which generation is not entangled in a tangle? Well, that's what's so amazing about that teaching, which is, you know, about 2,500 years old. And it stays so contemporary. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's just how it is. Yeah. And yet, to me, the charge is like, oh, this generation, like, oh, it's up to you and I. Mm. How do we work with it now? Because it's so easy to blame. It's so easy to create difference and to point the finger. And to me, it's like, all right, it's up to us. It's up to us. You, you open the book. See, this is how minutely I've read the book. You open the book, dedicating it to your uncle. Hmm. Yeah. Would you mind reading that dedication? I think you have a copy of the book in front of you. I do. From my uncle Victor Honigman, who was the first person I heard speak openly of terror and trauma as the gate to walk through toward healing and love. Yeah. What is it about Victor, Uncle Victor? Or what was it about him? I lived in a home that he came to live in for a time. Mm -hmm. And in the home were very good people with deep values around justice and equality and civil rights and caring. And those same people allowed or inflicted such harm. And that's where so much harm was happening at the same time and such violence. And when I would raise it, you know, I was always told that that wasn't what was going on. Mm. I was a misunderstanding. Mm. I was just misunderstanding. And so that kind of gaslighting Mm -hmm was so unsettling. And somehow, as a young person, somehow I understood that that's what was happening. That I understood that actually it was happening. Mm-hmm. And they were, there was a something wrong with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was. And it was mm-hmm. not until my Uncle Victor came and lived with us And he escaped concentration camp and would, you know, he was very much caught in the trauma of it. And almost every day there was like this retelling of the whole story, Mm. which I could probably tell almost verbatim Mm. today if we had a couple of hours. (laughs) Because he would intricately 
retell the whole story and it didn't Mm. really shift much Mm. but it was just out of that was really I'd never heard someone talk about terror and trauma openly and it's like that's what happened and it was awful and it was terrifying and it made me numb and he would just share the whole process of it and it was I would sit with him all the time to hear it because it felt like someone finally telling the truth Mm -hmm. while I was not in the same experience of course his was much more um, well he was in a concentration camp and I was in a home and but it's not about one suffering is better or, or greater or lesser. It's just that there were different forms of suffering and his were very extreme. And I just felt like that was the beginning of love and what you can do for someone. Mm. And what he... Yeah what he would just sit there and then just look at me and said, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, and I see what's happening. Right. And we'll just, we'll just acknowledge that relationship as well. Cause I can see how much it, it, it meant to you to be seen and I want to offer to you that I think that, you know, you, you talked about Bernie Glassman, the great Zen teacher, and his wish for us to bear witness. I, I want to offer to you that I think that as Uncle Victor bore witness to you and affirmed the truth of your experience, you write about it so eloquently, really in the first page of the first book, one of the people who lives in my house would often go into rages. Just one of the people in my house would often go into rages. He bore witness to what you were going through. But my friend, I think you bore witness to what he was going through. We were healing each other. Yeah. You were healing each other. As you were loving each other. As you were bearing witness to each other as you were possibly disentangling each other. To go back to that first teaching. Yes. And, you know, that's, you know, kind of just that spacious awareness and the bearing, the bearing the witness, you know, I think the, for me, it's also the word bearing it, learning how to bear it. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like what Sensei White was saying, just like to not move away from the pain, just like to bear it. It has a strength and a courage to it that I feel like is required. And that there's also this beauty that happens. And just remember just looking at him and feeling the tears in my eyes and seeing the tears in his eyes and not having really to say anything at that point. Mm -hmm. And just to really, and yet we were saying so much. You were, you were, Bearing witness in the silence. You were loving each other and healing each other in that silence. Yeah. yeah. You know how few of us really have those kinds of relationships where we slow down enough mm. 
to actually do that for each other and with each other. Yeah, I I I, th- I thought you you brought forth something really powerful where you talk about the COVID nineteen pandemic heightening that kind of uh, the 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 suspicion often unnamed but still lurking under the surface of everything that there'll never be enough to meet what life brings them and that the vulnerability our fragility was exposed and then i think you gave this beautiful image you said we try to hide the tangles we're caught in under fancy clothes we pretend that the lopsided way we're walking through life is a swagger amen brother amen It, you know, in a sense, what, what I, I, I connect to two thoughts, and I think that one of the ways of we are tangled, even though the book is called Untangle, which in a way is a call to action, what mm-hmm. we're talking about is the, the condition that exists that needs attending, and it's that tangled nature. And one of the ways that a lack of bearing witness, a lack of knowing what to do with suffering. One of the ways it shows up is in that tangle. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And I think it's just to like actually learning how to honor it. You know, I think that goes back to the book is structured around the four noble truths and Mm -hmm. you know that there's suffering in this life. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to write this book is because I wanted to go more deeply in my own study of the Four Noble Truths, like to mm-hmm. really spend time with them. And some of the other books that I was reading about it kind of quickly go for the for, through the first three mm-hmm. and then spend a lot of time because the last part is the path, the Eightfold Path, which is beautiful. And yet I felt like, wow, we really need to spend time with the first three, the first one of the nobility of our own suffering, that there is suffering and it's noble. And I just love how, you know, some people translate it in a different way, like, oh, mm-hmm. it's not really noble. It means this or that. Or, but there's something about the nobility of our own suffering. And I think that almost saying it provides the witness to it. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to write and actually looking at my own life and life itself and finding the nobility of that suffering, of the struggle, of the, the tangle, the hurt, the fear, all of it, and saying all of this is noble, noble strength. No, mm-hmm. no, it takes noble strength to meet our suffering and to say, I see you, Mm. I'm with you, Mm. fear. I see you, terror. I see you, confusion, Mm. anxiety, whatever that is. And like all the things that I've experienced in my life and to really take time to unpack just that, but I just, I, 
I'm just also realizing that that moment with Victor was also in that time with him, in particular when he was living with us too, where there was that nobility, it was the space between us Mm -hmm. of just saying, yes, this is true. It kind of reminds me of that incredible poem by Anakmaktova, which is called Instead of a Preface, where someone finds her in a crowd and says, and this is like during this terrible time in Russia, and another terrible time in Russia, and uh, where this woman turns to her and recognizes her as this poet, and she said, can you describe this? And she said, yes. And she feels like she sees something that looks like a smile, Mm. on the woman's face. And so like that kind of nobility of, yes, this is real. Mm. And I feel like we live in a world where we always are trying to kind of cover that. Yeah. Co- cover what's hard. Cover what's... I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's that, it's that movement towards the swagger that you identified. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's the... Um, we are going to mention the first three noble truths so that we can get to the promised land of the fourth <laughs> noble truth. Right? Yes. And, and, you know, and I think, I think that, that, that movement, which is so human and so common, actually is uh, either consciously or unconsciously so disabling, so um, dishonoring. Of those who are of both the suffering and and those who are carrying the suffering, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we were talking before the recording started, and I was mentioning the new book I'm working on, which is around the responsibilities leaders have to belonging. And one of the, the points that I make is that there's this phenomena uh, that that goes on when, when we deny the reality of the experience of our ancestors, when we describe our ancestors as, for example, resilient European immigrants, um, and we deny what their experience was that caused them to leave in the first place, famine, uh, oppression. um, It cuts off our ability. Not only does it dishonor, the fullness of their experience, but it cuts off our ability to empathetically connect. You know, so in my case, some of my ancestors came from Italy. And, and you know, when we don't acknowledge that they were leaving a land ravaged by famine and, and, and prejudicial oppression from Northerners, then the, it's possible to deny the humanity of immigrants on the southern border of the United States okay. who are seeking exactly what my grandmother sought. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, the, this, the, and I love the way you're framing this and this notion of this bearing witness. Mm-hmm. The bearing witness, which is, you know, the movement is, well, that's painful. I don't want to in that spot Mm -hmm. let me get to the promised land the eightfold path 
in my experience, and you, you're, 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 the, you're the, the teacher here, but in my experience, the bearing witness to the first three noble truths makes the fourth noble truth true. It right. makes it powerful. It takes it out of the intellectual realm of, okay, what are the eight things I need to do? Got it. And, you know, I'm, you know, cutting my cholesterol and I'm, you know, lowering my carbohydrate intake, right? So I live a good life, i.e. no pain. And I think that that attitude, that sort of progressive, forward, outcome orientation attitude actually increases suffering. It's a form of violence, if you will. Hmm. Do I have that right? I, for me, it's in my experience, it's deeply true mm -hmm. that like I feel that I think we all do like my, our cats feel that desire just like they're trying to get something, trying to get it. You know, they want mm. their treats or they want their mm. cookies or they want, we want, mm. we want, we want, you know, mm. and, and learning how to slow down with that wanting creature. Mm. And which is of course the second noble truth of the kind of the giants of greed and mm. rage and delusion and, Oh, yes, I have this greed giant in me that can take over and squash people and elbow people and to get so I can get what I want, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I can, it makes me not see you. Mm -hmm. And it makes me not see anybody. It makes me not see me. Yeah. Well, because you're so... <laughs> big you know that's why i love mm. thinking about them as giants you know and mm. giants are these incredible mm. mythological you know across the world there are these mythological giants and in most cultures and it's like this exaggerated form mm. of something you know and that's kind of uncontrollable mm. you know uh, you know how obsessive I am about reading and I read constantly and all, and I've read so many different books. And I remember being struck when I was reading Untangled because, Koshin, you showed up in a way that I find deeply admirable, deeply noble. You spoke truth about your own experiences. And, um, you know, the impulse in so many, the impulse, the, 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 the way I think many of us uh, try to manifest our bodhisattva vow, our vow to um, alleviate suffering, to 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 forestall um, enlightenment and freedom from rebirth in order to support the, the 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 freedom of suffering from suffering of all beings. The way I see so many folks trying to do that is to rush ahead like that kitten, like that cat, 
and get to the promised land of the Eightfold Path. Here it is. Here's the path. But what I saw you doing in this book is actually pausing and acknowledging the terror and the trauma that Uncle Victor acknowledged in you. And, and beautifully connecting the relationship between what your ancestors were going through, still carrying, and in a sense, passing along to you in that violence. And with bravery and honesty, talking about your own experience of being bullied, your own experience of questioning your worth. And, and you did something that I think uh, those of us who hold a seat of power, I know it may feel weird, but, but I think as a teacher, one does hold that seat. You went first in the book. That's one of, you know, first of all, thank you, you know. I think that's part of where we really connect. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that that's, it's the tender spot, you know, I feel that is required. It's always been what has drawn me to teachers, mm-hmm. you know, the willingness to share and look carefully. Mm-hmm. And to really have an acute, like a loving and tender acuity of attention mm-hmm. to our own mind. Mm-hmm. And how do we take care of that? And to me, part of how I love to teach is to really dig in to how is this actually my experience? So I'm not mm-hmm. just teaching about some concept, but to, the concept is helpful insofar as it's lived Mm. that's why i've always loved buddhism in general because it's just like not interested in any dogma even though people turn it into dogma but it's really experience-based and so how do we just really how do i share with you that this is so freaking hard Mm. and i understand that it's really hard sometimes and it really sucks sometimes and that's really and what else is it you know it, yeah. it's also noble yeah. to go back to that and to me that's what i kept rediscovering mm. in the writing and actually in, in the whole writing process itself was like this rediscovering and feeling into and having new insights. And actually it was so interesting that then doing the reading of the book for, mm-hmm. for the audio book actually changed many things in the book because actually somehow then speaking it, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, now that I'm, I was kept learning. And mm-hmm. to me, that's also the beauty of path itself of living mm-hmm. is that, if we're paying attention, like what is not an exquisite, strange, powerful 
adventure of actually learning how to feel the joy, which is to feel, you know, the full range from terror to great joy, you know, the joy that you can actually feel it all. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think there's, um, I think that what you've done is beautifully articulated the, a path, call it the Eightfold Path, but a path to the disentanglement and to the untangling. And, um, and I think that what we're both circling around is that um, that path begins with bearing witness to the terror and the trauma. And I want to be—I want to be very precise here because I—I will get this question because I often get it, which is: Must one experience terror and trauma to be disentangled? And I want to be clear: I don't believe that we should romanticize suffering, and I don't think that that's the teaching, as much as it is acknowledging the existence of that suffering in whatever form it takes for you or for your ancestors or for your descendants or for your neighbors and friends, for your family. Yeah, I think it's very, you know, I often as a teacher hear a lot about, well, my suffering's not like that or you get into this kind of competition, a weird competition about suffering and, well, I didn't have it so bad. And, you know, my suffering was my suffering and my siblings would probably have a very different story because in in some ways we all are growing up in different worlds. And to me, the beauty is to be curious about, tell me about your experience Yeah, and I can share mine. And I feel like that's the beginning of such good medicine for the fear of loneliness. Yeah. And the, and the fear in loneliness, I see again and again happens because we don't, we think that our particular discomfort or, you know, tangle or addiction to our anxiety or distraction is so unique. Yeah. And the form of it may be unique, but the fact of it rarely is. Yeah. I, I, I think that what gets lost, and the metaphor I often play with is fingers on a hand. Right? <laughs> and each finger is individual and different, but they're all connected. And in reality, it's hard to say where the finger ends and the hand begins. Right? They're all interconnected and they reflect each other. And so part of the story I think we we can tell ourselves is that my experience of the world, call it suffering or not, uh, is unique. And it's either more than the world can bear, so I will say mm-hmm. nothing, or nothing compared to what everyone else is. And so I will say nothing. And the result is we're alone with our experience. Mm. 
And the, we then miss the opportunity to do what you and Uncle Victor did for each other, which is to bear witness to each other, to share mm-hmm. each other's stories, mm-hmm. so that an empathetic connection can be made. And from that place, compassion grows. Compassion, and to use your analogy, disentanglement mm-hmm. grows mm-hmm. from that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also the moment of because neither of us are turning away, right? Yes. And and I think that if we think about Sensei White, you know, that's what also basically his teaching was to not turn away. So I think what is really important is just to remember that not turning away and staying connected to the person that you're with is the heart of it and that we don't need to do it alone and that we that actually that's the most important part is that we can do it in relationship and build community and take a risk in opening up If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash signup so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Reboot, we know that better humans make better leaders, and better leaders make more humane workplaces. We believe that work can be the way we achieve our fullest selves. We've amassed such a collection of resources since we began in 2014 that we wanted to bring them together in an arc of inquiry touching on each of the aspects of our formula, echoing the work we do with our clients. We've developed six zero-cost, long-form email courses, ranging anywhere from 15 to 80 days, These courses will help you better understand the fundamentals of communication, dig deep into radical self-inquiry, manage your psychology, as well as share practical advice for enhancing all aspects of your business. They're perfect for any leader looking to lead and live a more aligned life. Explore and sign up for our free self-guided courses at reboot.io slash resources.